No one has greater access and opportunity to influence you than you. You are with you at all times, in all places, and in every way. You know your insecurities better than anyone, and you know the soft, vulnerable places where you struggle. What have you been telling you about you? What do you sincerely believe to be true? And if you desire to think, believe, and ultimately act in a different way, where do you begin? How you speak about God, yourself, and your circumstances is all in the power of your mouth. Let's talk about it on tonight's episode, Watch Your Mouth. Hey friend, welcome back. So Dr. Wilder Penfield, a neurosurgeon, discovered through his studies that every experience that has once captured our attention is, in a sense, a record on our eternal hard drive. In his book, When the Day, Mark Batterson describes it this way. When you, for example, hear a song or see a picture, a line called an engram is traced on the surface of your cerebral cortex. Don't worry, we're not going to get too scientific. But it goes on to say that if you hear the same song or see the same picture again, the line is retraced. Now, with each repetition, the memory is more deeply ingrained until that song or picture is literally engraved on the surface of your brain, on the surface of the cerebral cortex. So I want you to think of your brain as a computer, if you will. So don't get me wrong, our brains are magnificent creations of God, capable of more than what we have probably ever tapped into or will on this side of heaven. But did you know that your brain only executes what you input? So yes, it can do great things with what you give it. So let's say in childhood, you heard that you could be anything you wanted to be. And over time, you continued not only to hear that your success was possible, but that it was inevitable, you would begin to believe it. The thought would become ingrained in your mind. And absent another countering thought that was introduced and reinforced just as powerfully, your brain would operate under the belief that you are capable of great things. But the opposite is also true. If you hear or read or experience something negative, and that one occurrence is reinforced by similar experiences, you will begin to operate as if that negative encounter were true. It becomes your truth, your belief system. And again, absent another thought, another truth interfering to disrupt it, you will live your life in accordance with what you come to believe is true about God, yourself, and your circumstances. The beautiful thing is that computers can be upgraded, and so can our minds. We can choose a new and better operating system. And because what we say about ourselves is a reflection of what we believe about ourselves, which reinforces the good or bad that we think about ourselves, it's important for us to watch our mouth, especially in the areas of what we say about God, ourselves, and our circumstances. These three categories are extremely important. Let's start with what we say about God. 
In Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Starting in verse 13, it reads, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. In Job chapter 42, verse five, Job says, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. These two pieces of scripture help us to see that a correct picture of God is formed not from what others tell us or show us, but by our very own encounters with God, him choosing to personally reveal himself to us. Does this mean that we discount the experiences and testimony of others? No, but an authentic relationship with God, one that can know his character at times despite and at other times in light of our circumstances, begins with an encounter, with a revelation of who he is. We cannot see ourselves right or see our circumstances right if we don't start with seeing God right. Where it can become hard for us, and this overlaps a little bit with how we see our circumstances, is when we try to understand. It's hard to understand the goodness of God when things don't look the way we expect. I've recently had several conversations with close friends about how, you know, as adults, our lives look so different than how we thought when we were children. Our experience is drastically different than we once dreamed. Some in great ways, others not so much, but one consistent thing rang true, and this is real transparency that life has hurt a whole lot more than we thought it would, especially because we belong to God. And while we have um, overcome depression and discouragement, and in some cases, some really unhealthy dependencies, we have to also admit that we've experienced a lot of disappointment along the way. Can any of you relate to that? Like, you know, God is good and you believe that everything happens for a purpose, but you still find yourself asking, Lord, why it had to be like that, <laughs> right? It makes me think of Romans 8, 28. And my seasoned babies, my seasoned friends are going to know exactly where I'm going with this. This is our go-to verse when we don't know what God is doing. <laughs> we know that all things work together, right? For the good of those who love God. And we often stop right there. But the entire verse reads, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So let's break this verse down a little bit. All things means all things, both the things that we would consider good and or bad, those things that are understood and misunderstood, those things that are welcome and those things that are unwanted. God can use all things. It says that he works them together. Well, what does that look like? Life is seasonal. There is never going to be a perfect season. 
Life is designed with ups and downs. The good and the bad work together in ways that our human finite minds cannot grasp or understand. Nor are we being asked to. We don't have to understand. There's no expectation of God for us to understand. Because Paul says that even when it comes to God's love, that he prays that we're able to experience it, even though it's too great for us to understand. Therefore, understanding why things happen or not is a poor judgment of whether things are good or bad, especially a poor judgment of whether things are in God's will for you or not. Quote unquote, for the good, right? What does for the good mean? Not only do all things work together, but they work together for the good. So despite the way the conditions or circumstances began, or even what it feels like now in the messy middle, when God is finished with it, it will be for our good. But this verse tells us that God working all these things together for the good are for a particular segment of people. Well, who are they? This verse tells us that these people possess two qualities. They first love God and two, they are called according to his purpose. So the Lord works things out for those he can entrust his plans with, not those who are perfect, those he can trust those who love him and are desiring and living a life of submission to his will and to walk in their calling. This verse brings to mind the kind of spirit behind uh, Psalm 37, 4, which will say, you know, those who delight in the Lord, he will give the desires of their heart, right? There is a benefit of belonging to God. There's a benefit of being in relationship with him, of, of having a love relationship with him. It's called favor. Again, we don't have to understand it, but we do as children of God get to enjoy it. So that's the first thing. We have to be careful with what we say about God. And it starts with having a real encounter with him and understanding how he works. Two, we need to be cognizant and aware of what we're saying about ourselves. If you've not listened to our series on trauma, I highly encourage you to do so because unaddressed and unacknowledged pain or grief have the ability to impact us in significant and severe ways. Healing is critical because when we operate out of trauma or hurt, the trauma becomes the lens through not only what we see ourselves, but also how we see God and especially how we see our circumstances. Remember how we talked about the brain being a computer. Trauma is one of those repeated patterns or messages that can shape our truth, especially the messages that we tell ourselves about ourselves. In Numbers 13, the Israelites are on the brink of the promised land, and so they send some scouts in to survey it. And this was the majority report. Starting in verse 31, it says, but the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. The him they're referring to is Caleb, who said, yeah, there's some real challenges, but we can take the land the Lord is with us. And the majority of the men said, we disagree. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. Listen to that again. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. First, let's be clear. The Israelites were the children of God. They were not grasshoppers. They just felt that way. Feelings are powerful things. 
Feelings are important, but feelings are not facts. The Israelites were willing to forsake their future based on a feeling. How many of us can relate to that? How many opportunities have we passed up because we felt like we were inadequate? Even one, even one is too many. So the Israelites felt like grasshoppers, but then it goes on to say, and that's what they thought too. Now, how in the world did the Israelites know what their opposition thought about them? They didn't. They didn't. They assumed based on what they thought about themselves. Sheesh. Come on. Come on. How we speak to ourselves about ourselves is more powerful than any other voice. So if we know that to be true, and we know that there's power in what we say, why don't we instead start saying things like, I am chosen by God. I am blessed. I am competent. I am equipped. I am healthy, wealthy, and wise. I live in overflow. I am the lender and not the borrower. I am a trailblazer. I am successful. I defy the odds. I am the change I need to see. I am who God is forming me to be. I am loved and I am loving. I am forgiven and I forgive. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I am more than a conqueror. I don't quit. I eliminate excuses. I achieve my goals. I only attract good. I am a positive force within the world. My family is blessed. Everything attached to me wins. It's my season. I'm walking in my purpose. I am resilient. I am a child of God. If I'm going to say anything, I'm going to say that. It is important how we talk to ourselves, about ourselves. Last but not least, we need to watch what we say about our circumstances. The book of Philippians is a great resource if we need reminding about how to choose joy in the midst of our circumstances, which really can only be accomplished by a changed mindset, which includes how we speak about our circumstances. In the first chapter of Philippians, Paul writes, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul goes on later, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul goes on later in that same book to write, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know that you've always been concerned about me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul demonstrated three truths for us. Everything that happens to us has purpose, including witnessing to unbelievers. Two, every circumstance that we're a part of has the opportunity to bring glory to God. And three, how we handle our circumstances, our response 
leads other believers to have confidence and to operate outside of fear. Don't move past these truths too quickly. This is important. Every circumstance that presents itself in our lives is an opportunity to witness, especially to unbelievers. People are always watching us. Our response, how we handle what we're going through, shows others what we truly believe about God. If when we face an obstacle or a struggle, we're immediately in a pit of despair and discouraged, why would an unbeliever be motivated to receive a gospel that doesn't seem to give very much hope? Listen to me. This isn't a call to be fake. This is not a call to pretend like what we're going through is not hard or that it doesn't hurt. But our response to our circumstances does reflect who we belong to. Next, our response to our circumstances has the opportunity to bring glory to God. This brings me back to Mark Batterson's book, Win the Day, where he states, we may not be responsible for everything that happens to us, but we are response-able, A-B-L-E. We are response-able, meaning we get to choose how we respond to what's happened. And that response carries far greater weight. Last but not least, our response gives other believers confidence. This is often referred to as our testimony. Other believers are encouraged by our strength. When they see us responding to difficult circumstances with faith, it bolsters their belief and gives them a real-life example of the power of God in our lives. I want to be very intentional and sensitive about this because, hear me, I don't want to diminish anything that you're going through. I don't want you to put on rose-colored glasses or revert to some emotional state where you pretend you're not hurt. That That's the opposite of what I want. That's not what I want. I want you free. And I want you to see God as he is. I want you to see yourself as you are and your circumstances as what they could be. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-able. He loves you to the highest heights and the lowest depths. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are the one he has called to testify to the world about who he is, to display his glory. You are the one that he has deposited his valuable and powerful giftedness into to be used in a special way that only you can with a uniqueness that only you bring that no one else can duplicate or replace. And your circumstances, baby, those are just opportunities. They are opportunities for God to do what otherwise could not be done. No, we're not going to always understand. But that's a part of this relationship. It's trust. It's trust in the one who does know. It's trust in the one who does understand. As Charles Spurgeon wrote, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Listen to that again. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. As my business partner so eloquently pointed out in our call yesterday, the word kiss is intimate. It goes beyond an embrace. It goes beyond a hug or a welcoming. A kiss implies affection, love, desire. Think about that. Let that sit with you. Charles said he has learned to have affection, love, and desire for the very circumstances that toss him against the rock. In this part, we're referring to the rock of ages, which is Christ. But when you think about being tossed at sea, 
against a rock. These are circumstances that most of us would run to avoid. And he said, I have learned to love them. I have learned to desire them, to have affection for them. Because ultimately, those circumstances push me closer to Christ. (sighs) This is big boy, big girl stuff, right? Y'all, I think the Lord actually expects us to believe him, (laughs) to take him at his word, to understand who we are and understand especially who we are in him. And as we endeavor to grow and mature, because that's why you're here, that's why you keep investing in yourself. So as we endeavor to do that, let's resolve that this is something we won't pass up. This is something we will not get wrong. We have to be intentional about how we speak about God, ourselves, and our circumstances. I want to end tonight with the serenity prayer. And while I think most of us have heard the often recited portion, I want to read it to you in its entirety, if you'd bear with me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Friend, I love you so much. I'm Shania, and this is Rooted.